This is Actualize Freedom. Straight talk on growing clicks and conversions on Amazon FBA from people doing it every day. Now here's your host, digital marketing acrobat, Danny Kenji Carlson. Today's episode of the Actualize Freedom podcast is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader giving big thinking for small business. It's designed for e-commerce leaders eager to grow and protect their business. It's co-hosted by Jason Miles, Shopify store owner and educator, and Michael Vizi, an Amazon specialist. Just search for The E-Commerce Leader in your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. What's up, guys? Danny Carlson here with the Actualized Freedom Podcast, and we have here the man himself who is over in Santa Monica, which is one of my favorite places in the world, to be honest, to live and we're just saying as long as you don't have to drive through L.A. traffic, as long as you're stuck there in that beautiful little bubble of that beachfront spot in Santa Monica, then it's pretty amazing. But uh, Travis is an interesting guy. So let me actually just let me just screen share what we got here. So you can see here he's got 118,000 YouTube subscribers, um, really mostly about Amazon stuff here. So he has a lot of experience when it comes to finding really good products for Amazon, but specifically creating a brand that really is a legitimate brand and products that are actually value added products, not just going and getting some fidget spinners or something like that off Alibaba and just trying to sell the garbage, that's the same garbage everyone else is selling, right? So I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Travis Marziani. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Ah, really good. Oh, tell me a little bit about uh, your current set up there in, in Santa Monica. You got this, uh, you're right on the, right close to the beach there with your podcasting setup and everything like that. What you got going on? Yeah, I'm pretty close to the beach. Uh, I, I'm a huge, I love the beach. Like it's one of those things growing up. I grew up in the suburbs of L- LA suburbs, basically probably about like an hour away from the beach. And, you know, every once in a while growing up, we'd go to the beach and it was really nice. And it's, it's my happy place. And I find when I'm stressed out, when I'm overwhelmed or even on the opposite end, when I'm just completely like out of energy, completely tired. If I just go lay on the beach, go jump in the water, I just, I feel amazing. And so, yeah, I, I, I love it here. Yeah. So much cool stuff happening around there all the time. And lots of entrepreneurs I'd imagine as well. Right. It's like, cause it's not the, it's not the cheapest place to go live in Santa Monica. So you don't have a whole bunch of people just barely scraping by who are, who are living on Santa Monica. Right. No, totally. And what I recommend, I mean, I'm a huge fan of live, live in your dream location because for instance, for me, a lot of the people that I meet, the networking, it's so much better than it was, you know, in Valencia. Like after, after I quit my corporate job, I did live back home with my parents for a little while. And there's nobody in that town that's doing entrepreneurship where the people that I meet here, like you said, they're, it's, it's not cheap for rent here. I mean, my rent, let's put it this way. My rent for this apartment is more than my sister's mortgage was for an acre in Texas. Uh, she moved, uh, we're from, we're from California, but she moved to Texas for a little while. She's back now. She's, uh, she did the opposite. Most people are leaving California right now. She came back. Uh, the weather is amazing. But anyways, I really believe that if you can live in a place, I mean, it depends what you're, it doesn't have to be an expensive place, but by living in a place that is a little bit more pricey, you're going to be networking with higher on average uh, level of net worth individuals, higher on average, like go-getters basically. And I'm not saying that, you know, that's always the way that you need to do it. There's definitely some benefits and there's definitely pros and cons. I'm, I'm sure you can find a similar thing in Bali, just like really interesting, unique people. But for me personally, one, I want to be by the, I love being by the beach, but also actually I'll throw this in too, as an entrepreneur, I think it's very helpful 
to have restaurants and fun things to do within walking distance. Cause I know when I was living in the suburbs, it was like, oh man, like, uh, you know, after a day of grinding and then you want to go drive for 15 minutes to go out to eat, you're like, no, or drive for 15 minutes to go to the gym. No, we're like, I can just hop on my bike and I'm in three minutes. I'm at, you know, I'm at the beach or I'm at, at a gym or whatever. So highly recommend. I think it's worth the money to, to live in your dream locations. But that's probably oh, yeah. not why we're here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the environment is so important. Like uh, it's a similar reason why I live in Bali, just to surround myself with cool entrepreneurs and, and people who live healthy lifestyles and things like that. And um, I agree with the actually spending a higher amount of money on environment things. So one example is the gym that I go to here in Bali. It's a $300 a month gym, which is kind of, it's kind of funny. Like a lot of people are like, why the hell would you spend $300 a month on a gym when there's a gym that costs $15 a month or something like that over here, right? doesn't make any sense. But the main benefit to me is that every single person in that gym has to pay $300 a month to be in that gym. And so you don't find all the people who are super overweight and just like checking off the, like I went on the treadmill for 15 minutes today at that gym, you're just surrounding yourself with other people who take their fitness seriously and other people who live healthy and fit lifestyles. And it creates a much different environment in that gym that just like motivates you to, yeah. to also take your own fitness really seriously. So definitely worth paying the money for. Yeah, I joined a mastermind recently. It's $25,000 a year. And that's 100% why I did it. Is not 100%. That's a huge reason why I did it. I'm like, okay, I want to be surrounded by other people that can afford and are as dedicated as I am to this, this kind of a program. And I don't recommend that for everybody. I mean, you know, it, it definitely doesn't make sense. But I think spending money to using money as a tool, I think is very important. And that's what you it sounds like you did in a lot of ways is you spent this money, but now you're going to go to that gym. You're not, I mean, I'm sure even if it was a cheap gym, you probably would go regularly, but you're definitely going to go when you're spending 300 bucks a month. You're not going to be like, Oh, I'm tired today. You're like, no, I got to go. I got to get up. So I think that's uh, very helpful. I didn't, I actually, it's funny when I said Bali early, I didn't realize you were living in Bali. How is, how is everything? I mean, we can, we can go back to everything, but how, how is everything with the, the pandemic? Is it kind of open back up or? Oh yeah. I mean, Bali has been kind of the dream place to be during this whole pandemic. So they, there was almost no restrictions placed throughout the entire period. Like the worst they did was close the beaches for a little while, but uh, really this entire period um, it's been actually even better to be living in Bali because the prices for everything dropped just because 70% of the Island relies on tourism for the income. Then all of a sudden there's no tourists because of COVID and you know, the rental prices dropped the prices for all doing like fun stuff. Like my girlfriend and I went on a, uh, safari like private safari tour with jeep four by four and everything like that and it was like it cost like 70 american dollars for both of us to go on that private tour you know so like you can do some cool stuff out here right now for very big discount so um very lucky to be here during this entire situation it's amazing yeah yeah man but let's hear let's hear more about what you were doing with your products and i know you're a big expert on creating brands that are actually good quality brands and with good quality products that are actually improved products that are bringing some unique value to the marketplace. So tell me a bit about, you know, what kind of things do you try to think about when you're looking for these opportunities for really good products to bring to the marketplace? I mean, there's a whole checklist of things, you know, and you don't necessarily need every single thing from the checklist, but the more you can get the better. So one of the biggest things I'll say is, well, let's start with the easy things. Is it easy to ship, right? I mean, that's a common thing. All the typical private label stuff, right? Is, is it easy to ship within reason? You know, you don't want to be sending like glass uh, when you're shipping things or things that are super fragile. 
uh, though there's there's always counterexamples. Sometimes that sometimes there really is a, a good market. Another example of something that's easy to ship: ice cream. I get people that are like, hey, "I want to start a keto ice cream company and do it on e-commerce." I'm like, "You can do it, but it's freaking tough. Like it's it's a lot." It, that being said, because it's tough, sometimes that makes it a better market because your competitors aren't going to want to deal with you. But if it's your first time ever doing something, maybe do something a little bit easier. So is it easy to ship? I mean, obviously, ideally, if it can be somewhat lightweight under a pound, I mean, typical, you know, save the money on the Amazon fees, all that kind of stuff. Uh, another thing that's not necessary, but a nice bonus, is it consumable? And not necessarily, do you, not necessarily do you need to eat it, but it could be something that, you know, there needs to be reorders every so often. Maybe it's a certain kind of notebook. Like I use the five minute journal and it's like, I got to reorder one every six months because I, I fill out all the pages. So is it, is it consumable? Not necessary, but it's a beneficial thing. Does it have some kind of a viral element to it? I mean, that was fidget spinners, right? Is you see someone using it and you're like, I need to use that too. Uh, my product, it's performance nut butter. It's an on the go keto, paleo, vegan, whole 30, whatever snack. If you see someone eating it, it's not super viral, but if you see someone eating it, you might be like, what the hell is that? Especially in the early days of my product. And you might kind of have a conversation. Uh, my girlfriend has a product, it's called Vino Cards. And it's about, it's a, a way to learn, it's wine flashcards, it's a way to learn about wine. You have people over for a wine tasting and you you use these to help like learn about wine. It has some viral element because as the people in the party are using it, they're like, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm going to go home and buy it. And then they're going to do a wine tasting party and their friends are going to, you know, it's going to spread and spread. Um, not extremely viral, that product, but it has some viral element. So that's something to look for. Now, another thing that's really important, in my opinion, that I think a lot of people underutilize is premium. Can you make the best product out there? Can it, can, is there room to be premium? For instance, for instance, toilet plunger, Probably not going to get, I don't need to buy, actually, that's not even a good example because there are premium toilet plungers out there. There's the really crappy ones and there's the really high end ones I get. Like I've seen them, you know, at, at times. So can you make a product that can be the best? Because I think a lot of people, they want to, they want to try to uh, go for the cheapest product and they want to say, they want to try to compete on price. That's not the right way to do it. The right way, in my opinion, is can I have the best product? Because that's where you get the the best margins. Because for instance, my product, $28, I got a lot of room for margins where my, you know, Jiffy, uh, they're selling or Skippy peanut butter. They're selling it for like $6. My, I make more profit than their, the entire cost of their product. And it's because it's a premium. It's the best. And that's what happens. And you see this a lot. I mean, that's one of the benefits of living in a place like Santa Monica is everything is a premium version of everything because you want to go get a massage it's like, oh, the, the Swedish $150 per hour massage. There's not the, you know, I, in my suburbs, there's like the $25 massage. and Bali, there's the $10 massage. But here it's like, because the rent's so high and because everything, everything is a premium version. And I think the same, especially when you're first starting out on Amazon, you want to go for the premium. You don't want to try to compete on price. Now, there's a bunch of other things I could go down a checklist. But the last thing that I personally, probably the most important thing that I look for is, is this something I'm excited about? Is this something I'm passionate about? That's why I have the term, uh, I always say a passion product. Is this a product that I'm passionate about? A lot of people talk about a passion project, which is you know, something you do that you're passionate about for fun. I say, yeah, but a passion product, is something you do that you're passionate about that you wanna make money from. And so the idea is if you can make a product 
that solves a need that you have, you're going to understand the market so much better. That was me with performance nut butter. It was, I wanted an on the go, healthy snack that didn't have any sugar, didn't have any artificial flavors, you know, any artificial junk. I wanted something really good and clean. And that was my product. Uh, my girlfriend wanted to learn more about wine. So she created a product about selling wine. Um, I'm working with, you know, I have a bunch I don't, of a, a, a bunch of different students. I'll, I'll go into later uh, about all their different products, but the people that I see that have the most success, they're filling, they're creating a product that they wish they existed. You look at Nike, Nike was um, Phil Knight. He was obsessed with shoes. He was a track and field athlete. So he made track and field shoes. Now over time, he grew it into a bigger and bigger brand, but he started by making the best darn product that he could. And I think that is what I'd recommend to most people, especially if you want to create a brand that start with something very niche, something small, and then you can grow it over time. And I can keep ranting on this, but I'm going to, I'll, 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 I'll wrap it up and, and feel free to like go back and forth. Yeah. Well, you're touching on a lot of really important points there. And I'd love to hear as well, what is your opinion on finding just existing products that manufacturers are already making versus just spending the time and R and D process to develop a product that is bringing something unique to the marketplace? Because you know, it's got to be a balance there, right? Not everyone has, you know, $100,000 to go develop prototypes and like all some crazy stuff. But at the same time, um, you don't really want to be just selling the same thing as everyone else too. So like, where do you find that balance between bringing something like amazing, new and innovative to the market and still being cost effective in a reasonable kind of time frame? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be like completely revolutionary. For instance, I mean, and, and I get this criticism online all the time is people are like, oh, well, you know, performance nut butter. So it's a macadamia coconut cashew blended nut butter. And people are like, there was already nut butter out there. I'm like, yeah, there was, but it was peanut butter. It was almond butter. That was like the fancy stuff. Uh, and a lot of the almond butter had like palm oil and a bunch of junk in it. And so my product, well, I didn't have to spend a ton of money on research and development. I got a uh, food processor. I threw in different types of nuts and I figured out a good ratio that tasted good. And I was able to look up the, you know, the health and nutrition facts online. And so I think in a big part of what made my product successful, I believe was I niched down. I made it for a specific type of people. I made it for people that were athletic, people that were looking uh, at eating healthy, eating keto. They wanted people that wanted the best thing out there. There's always going to be a market for the best thing out there. And then same thing. I mean, my girlfriend's product, you know, not that it's doing crazy numbers, but it's just paper. It's, it's the design that makes it unique. So she did the research and, and put together um, what, you know, all the different varietals out there, you know, back and front. And most stuff takes a lot less money. I have a student in the course right now that's in the middle of a Kickstarter. Uh, he's doing pretty well. And he has a gym bag but it's not your ordinary gym bag. It's got all these little features. It's got like a compartment it's specifically mostly meant for people that maybe have an office job and that, you know, they need to go to the office, but then afterwards they want to go to the gym. It's got a compartment for food. Cause a lot of, you know, a lot of people that are, you may be like this, like you know, they do food prep and then it's like, they want to go to the office. They don't want to eat a bunch of junk food. It's all right there. It has a compartment for your suit. It has a compartment for your shoes. So your shoes don't mess up your, um, mess up your clothes, like, you know, your suit or whatever. And it doesn't take that much work. A lot of times, like I'm not talking about releasing the next, I don't know, like smart fridge that that's going to take a million dollars. You know, don't, don't do that for the average person. Uh, but making something that's a little bit better. And sometimes what makes a product better is not that complicated. Maybe you get something, you add uh, one or two little features to it. But part of what making it better is, is that branding because 
really what makes a product better is the way someone feels when they use it. That's people are buying off emotion. And if you can show someone a product and they're like, wow, that is the perfect product for me. You're going to get sales. Like that's just how it works. So I don't, hopefully I kind of answered your question, but I can, yeah. Yeah. And I think the question on a lot of people's mind right now is what are the complications of bringing a food product to market? Because I think a food product is a really great way to bring something totally unique to the market that you don't have to go through the you know, million dollar process of developing the new smart fridge or something like that, that can be very time consuming and expensive, right? Um, but there are certain complications that come with selling food products. So what are some of the hoops that people would have to jump through to bring a new food product to market? A lot less than you would think. Let's put it that way. Um, if you are a manufacturer, it's, it's complicated. You have to get approved by the FDA. If you are not a manufacturer, you find a, you find a co-packer, you find a manufacturer and they will produce the product for you. And they, they will deal with a lot of those hoops. So, and honestly, Amazon right now is still a little bit of the wild west. Amazon doesn't even know that I'm not making this in my kitchen. They, they never asked for proof. Uh, and if they did, uh, I don't think they ever asked for proof. And if they did, they didn't really care that much. They were just kind of like, whatever. So, um, as far as the, I mean, I can back up a little bit. It's, I made the recipe in my house and then I went to a manufacturer and my specific product is a little bit tough to find a manufacturer because it's getting nut butter into a pouch, which is not, there's not a ton of people out there. If you want to do a protein bar, it's a little bit easier to find people uh, and different food, different food products. Like if you're doing chips, it's a little bit easier to find people, all that kind of stuff. But then I found the manufacturer. I said, Hey, here's my recipe. Can we replicate this? on your machines? And the answer was yes. And so they did a trial run, maybe like 750 bucks, you know, just to check everything out. And then um, my first manufacturer, they're like, all right, let's do it. Let's do a big run. And so we did a big run because they've done enough nut butter with their machines that they knew it was going to work. And ultimately what ended up happening? Let's see. Well, everything worked out. I mean, um, the, the FDA never came knocking on my door. And I, so I think that's a big mistake a lot of people make is they think that the FDA cares about small people. They don't. I mean, if you're making crazy claims on your nutrition label, yeah, you might get in trouble. But honestly, I think I could have said whatever I wanted to and nobody would have done. I, look, I did everything by the book. But when you're small, it's not really a big worry. As you get bigger, you may want to be a little bit more careful. But yeah, generally speaking, it's not that bad. Yeah. So what you're saying is that the co-packers are the ones that actual, the manufacturers of your food basically are the ones that need all the certifications and they need the, you know, health inspection, all those, all those different things that are required. But because you're working with them, you essentially are under the umbrella of their certifications and their, and their approvals and everything like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, what you just explained sounds very, very simple, right? I think a lot of people assume that you need to you know, pay thousands of dollars for approvals and all these kind of different things when you're creating a new product like that. But um, I mean, that's a, a very interesting story. You had a product that, you know, I would love to have this product myself. So I assume other people will be interested in it as well. You went through the R&D process yourself. You're literally just in your own kitchen mixing this new product in a blender and stuff like that. And then you're like, okay, so who can create this product for me? Looking for manufacturers in the United States, right? In the United States manufacturers for a food yeah. product is probably smart the thing way to go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because, I mean, maybe well, this, some people do Canada, I guess, but I mean, just, it's easier just to do the U S don't, don't, I wouldn't mess with China personally, though. Some people do it. I don't, you know, I, I oh yeah. 
Well, there's a, a story I remember hearing years and years ago about, uh, it, I forget what supplement it was. I think it was a pre-workout if I remember correctly, but they got like nailed brutally by the FDA because they actually found traces of crystal meth inside of their, inside of their workout supplement. And it was a supplement manufactured in China. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this brand claimed that they had no idea about it. And the crazy thing is maybe they didn't actually have any idea about it. And the manufacturer just accidentally was putting crystal meth inside of their, inside of their workout supplement. So manufacturers in the U S I think a little bit more trustworthy. You don't want yeah. any, any meth inside of your nut butters, right? Uh, no yes no unless it sells a lot more no i'm just kidding of course not yeah it's but it is weird because i mean there's nobody i I will say there's nobody checking what i mean my manufacturers are legit uh, but nobody really checks that my manufacturers are legit and specifically with the nutrition facts i mean i have legit nutrition facts but i could put on their especially my first manufacturer my, my my second one was a little bit more strict my first one was like yeah yeah whatever just you know do some calculations and figure it out. My second one was like, all right, we need to go through some, a little bit of tests here, but even still what people forget about with finding nutrition uh, label, first off, you can be off by 20% and FDA doesn't care. So for instance, if you say, I mean, you say that, oh, there's a hundred calories, but there's actually 120 calories. The FDA is like, whatever, you know, and it, it's, I mean, it doesn't sound like a huge deal. Or you could say, if you said it's 500 calories, but it's actually 600 calories, that's an extra hundred calories to some people. That's a really big deal. Um, so that's one thing. And then, I mean, yeah, the other thing is nobody really like tests, nobody's ripping open a performance nut butter and being like, what's in this and, and checking, actually there's walnuts in here. Like you're a liar. Now, again, my manufacturer, since they are legit, they wouldn't allow me to do that, but I could technically be putting stuff in there and Amazon wouldn't know. Yeah. New marketing strategy, crystal meth, sprinkled in at the last second <laughs> yeah just a little little flavor crystals <laughs> and so tell me a little bit about to the what didn't work out with that first manufacturer was there um, some scale issues or what why did you have to go look for that second manufacturer in the first place yeah um they first off they were kind of undercharging me at first but then they, they got a new client and the new client I think was a bigger, you know, like a big shot and like they were doing really large volumes. So the current client basically five X their manufacturing fee. They were charging me, let's say $3,000 per production run. And then they wanted to up it to $15,000. Now to be fair to them, they wanted to do, um, they wanted to order all my inventory for me. They wanted to deal with all the logistical issues, but I'm like, yeah, for $12,000, I'll do that myself. Like, don't worry about it. So I kind of went back and forth with them. And eventually they were kind of like, no, like this is how it's going to be from now on. So I'm like, cool. I'm, uh, I didn't tell them. I just went to somebody else and I just never told them I was going to leave. And now I've, I've talked to them recently and they're like, yeah, you know, if you want to come back, we can do it under the old deal. So now, you know, they've opened up the door again for, for me to go back and do it um, under the old deal. So I may go back to them because they're, they're a pretty good deal, to be honest with you. But yeah. actually, I'll, I'll say one other thing actually really quick is they are not as professional. The, the first people, they're a lot, they're a lot less expensive, but they're not as professional. The second group though, or the second manufacturer, everything has to be by the letter. There's contracts and there's a, oh, you know, we have to do a trial run. Then we have to do a trial run of the trial. Run. Like we have to do like this completely, it's way too complicated. So to me, uh, I kind of like the first guy better to be honest with you, but it's just, there's pros and cons. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And then about new products too. So I'm sure you're probably developing some new products uh, under the same brand. 
what kind of things are you looking for? So like, do you now have a, a target demographic that you're just doing some R and D of like, what kind of new products could I bring to there? Or are you just going the same route and just saying like, what am I interested in bringing to the market? And then just in going that route. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of complicated. I'm actually, uh, I think I can talk about it. I'm in the process of partnering with somebody on this brand because the truth is right now, what really is fun for me and, and really is exciting for me isn't the nut butter company as much as it used to be. What I really love doing right now is working with students and specifically I've partnered with, um, right now too, but I'm, uh, there's a few other ones I'm in talks with partnering on their products. Cause that's fun to me. It's fun for me to help somebody go from zero to a hundred K a year or whatever, you know, whatever the numbers are, even, I mean, not, you know, not everyone that's going to take the course is going to be successful, but well, I shouldn't say that not everyone that takes the course is going to make a lot of money, but everybody that I've worked with so far has learned a lot. And that, like, that's just a fun process. Like watching people, even if there's a failure, quote unquote, they're like, Oh yeah. Like I learned something super valuable. And I've seen that in my own life. I mean, it's pretty common, but the biggest lessons I've learned in my life are come from mistakes I made. And it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that again. And so right now I do have some products that are kind of on the back burner that are totally different category. So with, I'll start with performance, not butter. There are some products that are in the pipeline. I'm probably not supposed to talk about those just yet. Um, they're not going to be things that I'm excited about, to be honest with you. They're going to be things that my partner's excited about because for me, that space isn't, um, it's not as interesting to me as it was. I'm, I'm working on some things in the back burner that are exciting to me. But one of the recent realizations I had is I enjoy partnering with people because I, I used to do everything by myself or, you know, I had some virtual assistants and things like that. But what I realized is I don't need to have hundred percent of a company. I could have 49%. If it means that the other person's going to be doing 90% of the work. Great. You know, and specifically one thing, I, like I was mentioning, I want to do is start partnering more with my students because they'll do 90% of the work, but that 10% of the work that I'm going to do, and I don't have to have, you know, 50, 50 or whatever, but that 10% of the, the work that I'm going to do is things that I have experience with. For instance, I'm, I'm helping somebody launch uh, it's called cocktail cards, which is cocktail flashcards. Not that, not that complicated of a product. Um, very similar to the product I helped my girlfriend launch, which was the vino cards, uh, wine flashcards. So I already know, I already have a manufacturer. I already have a designer. I already have all these things that took me you know, 30, 40, 50 hours in, in doing research. I've already got this down and I know step-by-step step the formula for success with this type of a product. So I partner with him and he has to do the work, but I tell him what to do. I'm like, Hey, we have to, we have to design this product. Hey, we have to create social media so we can create some kind of a brand. So moral of the story is what's exciting me right now is more on helping other people uh, develop products and brands than it is doing it myself. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And what would you say to people that they have the really cool idea, but they're scared that other people are going to steal their idea if they just kind of put it out there, right? Yeah, I'm sure you run into a lot of these kind of people and your students of, uh, they're like, oh, I have a great idea. And you're like, great, what is it? Well, yeah. I can't tell it to you. <laughs> so like, what do you say to, to people like that? I think it's so ridiculous. I, I think it's, uh, it's, the exact opposite mindset that you need to have. If you've got a good idea, you better be telling everybody about it, but you should be doing it. You should be making progress. Um, generally what I say is, you know, let's oversimplify it for a second. There's, there's two different types of people. There's the people that can take your product, steal it and launch it. Those people that are that uh, capable are usually first off very successful. 
um, if they're that capable, they've already done it before, right? They're, they're probably successful. They probably have a hundred of their own ideas. Like people come to me like, well, I don't want to tell you what my product is because you might steal it. I'm like, there's a 0% chance that I'm going to steal it because I know it's not easy. It's not, no matter, you know, no matter what anybody says, it's not easy to create a product from scratch. Like you need, it takes work. And so people, people do tell me ideas. I'm like, that's a million dollar idea. I don't want to do it because I got my own thing going on. You know, like I'm busy with my own, with my, my business, with my YouTube channel, um, with my students in the course. And so even if someone came to me with literally a million dollar idea, it's just like, I'm not going to drop everything that I've got to go do that. And I'm someone that's in the first category of I'm capable of doing it. Like if I really wanted to, I probably could, but it's just not in my interest. Now the other 99% of the population, they're not even able to do it. So if you told your average person, hey, here's a million dollar idea, they'd be like, whoa, I don't know what to do with that. And so most people, and the kind of people that have free time, they're probably not very capable. And I don't mean that as an insult to anybody. It's just, it's reality. Because if you were really capable and there, you know, there's a 1% chance maybe that someone is capable and they're looking for an idea, but it's super, it's less than a 1% chance. It's super, super rare. And so what I'd say is also, once you launch your product, what's going to stop people from stealing it? Well, you better have a better brand. You better have a better tribe around you. You better have a better uh, social media or some kind of an audience. So it comes down to marketing. So you better be a better marketer than other people and create a better brand identity, I think, in 2020, 2021 and moving forward. So ideas, I mean, and you know this, I'm sure. Ideas are like worth very little. It's the execution. And so just be a better executor than other people is my opinion. Yeah. And like, what are some of the benefits of sharing that idea with other people? Oh my God. I mean, I, you know how it is on Amazon. You want to get as many sales and as many reviews on the first day, on the first week, first you know month as you possibly can. And if you're sharing your idea with people that are interested in your idea, you're going to hype them up. I mean, you look, you know, when, when, when a new Star Wars movie comes out, there's a line around the block. Why? Because they shared months ahead of time. Hey, this movie's maybe a year ahead. Hey, this movie's going to be coming out. And people are like, oh my God, I'm so stoked. Then they share it uh, a few months before. Then they start hyping it up. You start having the, the, the actors and actresses on talk shows. Uh, you start doing different social media posts. You start really building this anticipation. As humans, we want what we can't have. And if you start telling people about this idea of, hey, I've got this really cool product, I'm coming out. You know, now, keep in mind, you better be making progress. I'm not saying just tell people, I've got this idea for months and months, then people are gonna think you're full of it. But if you're like, hey, I've got this idea, by the way, here's a prototype, you know, what is this? Do you like this taste? People are gonna be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Where can I buy it? I'm like, oh, and you can't yet. But in the next month you can. Uh, people are gonna be like, okay, well, let me know when I can. And if you start telling enough people, you're gonna get a critical mass of, a tribe around you that are excited for your product to come out. That's Star Wars, right? That's, that's why there's a line around the blocks three days before because they're just like, oh my God, I can't wait for this product. Now, are you going to be at the level of Star Wars on your first product? No, but I'll put it this way. My first product, um, I, I, let's see, I launched my, I told everybody I was going to launch my product at six in the morning, right? On a Tuesday. And I ended up launching it like five minutes earlier, like 5.55 in the morning. And my girlfriend was right next to me and she wanted to be the first one to purchase it. So she went on to purchase it and she was the sixth person to purchase it, which means at 5.55 in the morning, there was five other people that were clicking refresh, just waiting for it to go live five minutes before I told them it was going to go live and they purchased it right away. I ended up raising, I think around like $7,500 or so on my first day on Kickstarter. It's because people were pumped about it. Now keep in mind on Kickstarter, 
they're not going to receive the product for three months anyways. It doesn't matter when they buy it. They could have bought it you know, at the end of the Kickstarter, 30 days later, and they still would have received it at the same time. But they were so excited. They wanted to be one of the first ones to buy it. I'm sure I did some kind of an early bird special. So by telling people, you start getting this, this group dynamic and you start building momentum. And another thing that's interesting is as you start getting a group around you, people are going to feed off each other's energy. And one thing I recommend doing for anybody launching a product on Amazon is a Facebook group, get a Facebook group post in the Facebook group. Hey, here's what my logos, the different logos I'm looking at. And what you're going to, what's going to happen is people are going to comment and say, I like this one because of this. And people are going to feed off that energy. And it, this is a mistake. A lot of people make is they try to, maybe they use an email list and they'd send out email blasts. And it's like this God from up on high, like talking down to the peasants. A Facebook group is a good way to create a community where you're all in this together. And what happens is people start buying into this product. They're like, wow, he chose the logo that I picked. Oh, I'm so excited. And it's not your product anymore. It's the group's product. And everyone wants to see it succeed, which means they're going to want to tell their friends, their family. And it just, that's a good way to get some virality. So uh, yeah, as you can see, this, this, this topic excites me. And I, I, honestly believe there's some exceptions. If you have a product that you need to get a patent on, you know, maybe keep it quiet, but hurry up and get that patent. So you can start telling people um, there's, there's always some edge cases, but generally speaking, most people that make a mistake, they don't tell enough people, not they told too many people. My opinion. Yeah. I think you're so right on that. There's just no good reason in my mind to just be super, super secretive about that. But you know, in the off chance that you are at you know, some, some uh, Amazon conference where everyone's uh, a seven figure seller above and they're all in the same niche as you or something like that. Maybe you yeah. might want to be secret about it, but probably not the case for 99% of people listening here. But um, Travis, man, this has been a really insightful episode. Some really awesome value bombs dropped here. If people wanted to learn more about you or see more about what you do online, where's the best place for them to do that? So I got a bonus for everybody. I got, I'm setting, I, I've set up a completely like free training for everybody that's listening here. Go to travisfreecourse.com. I, I don't know. I was trying to think of a good URL before this and I'm like, ah, I have no idea. So travisfreecourse.com. And it's going to be like 20 videos, like every, uh, not everything, a good percentage of everything I know. And something that I'm going to be doing as a bonus for everybody is make sure I'm going to set you up. I'm going to get a list of other people that have joined this free training and set you up with like an accountability partner and introduce you to some of the other people. So it's not just going to be you by yourself. Uh, I'm also going to be, have a Facebook group for everybody that's part of the free training in the Facebook group. I'll probably go, you know, do some Facebook lives and answer some questions. So go to the Travis free, travisfreecourse.com. Uh, but also you can go Travis Marziani on YouTube. I've got a ton of content. Um, probably yeah, you know, most things. So travisfreecourse.com. That's the main way. Yeah. Okay, guys. And we'll put the links to those resources that Travis mentioned there in the show notes, kenjiroy.com slash blog there. And um, thank you so much for coming on, man. That was really insightful and a really kind of a good look at what it really takes to bring a brand new product to market. So thank you so much for your time, Travis. Yeah. Thank you too. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit KenjiROI.com.